the word of the Lord. We got a lot to, to get through today. Even when the spirit of the Lord moves mightily, got to get that word out there. So let's just, we're going to move fast this morning. So turn on your ears to hear, and strangely enough, in Mark chapter 4, verse 23 is where we're going to be starting with that, those two verses right there in Mark 4, 23 and 24, where it says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. Obviously, the Lord here in this one passage as we're diving into today's message, which is simply entitled, The Measure You Have. The Measure You Have. And we'll, we'll continue that scripture in Mark in a moment, but I want to exhort us and encourage us to, as Jesus says in this passage here, to turn on our ears to hear. You know, and I'm not just talking about those sound waves that through compression and rarefaction or whatever enter in your, you know, your ear canal behind your eardrum, tickling those little bones, whatever they do to the brain to interpret what's being said from here to there or in conversations or whether whatever we're listening to throughout the day. But obviously Jesus is talking about more than just the physical brain interpretation of sound waves. Amen? He's talking about hearing in our hearts. He's talking about those, that very same interpretation that enters into our, our thoughts and our brain that we can interpret. He's talking about allowing that which we physically hear to be able to enter into the chambers of our heart. And be able to have ears to hear in our hearts. Because when we have ears to hear in our hearts, that's when convictions begin to be formed. That's when patterns in life are are changed. And that's when we begin to form new habits and we begin to form new lifestyles. When we hear in our heart what it is that the Lord is saying to us. Not to be forgetful hearers, to come and quickly go many times we are, better, we are better at talking than we are at listening. Would anybody put themselves on that altar of sacrifice today? All right, we got, a, we got you know, 15, 20 honest people in the room today. We're oftentimes better talkers, and even when we listen, sometimes we're listening for that opportunity to get our opinion in there. We got to turn on our hearers. We got to turn on the hearers of our heart. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. We're going to read in verses 1 through 3, really wanting to get down to that verse number 3 with today's message the measure you have. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. That'd be a great message to go into, but we're not going to go there today. But take that thought away with you. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect? Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you to not think of himself more highly than he should, but to think with sober judgment, according each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, may your word have proper priority in our hearts, in our lives. Lord, I pray for myself and for all of us here within our the hearing today, Lord, I just pray that you would just open up our hearts, Lord, and give us hearts that hear, Lord, hearts that hear. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, amen. It all begins with that measure of saving faith that Jesus has placed within every person. Every man, woman, boy or girl, no matter how young or no matter how old, it begins with that measure of faith that God has given first for salvation. And then faith that is assigned for your life's work. In Romans, it's called that measure of faith. In the measure of faith for salvation, I view this sort of faith as sort of an equal distributed amount of faith given to every person in order to enable people to be able to call upon the name of Jesus and to be able to believe in Jesus. But then the, there's this measure of faith for God's assignment for your life. Everybody say, God has an assignment for my life. Do you believe that? I mean, we use the word purpose. We use the word plan. Today we're saying assignment. God has a purpose and a plan and an assignment for our lives. And he's given us this measure of faith. And this measure of faith, it's, I view it as a little bit differently than that measure of saving faith. That saving faith we all have to call upon the name of Jesus for salvation to break forth in our lives. This measure of faith for our assignment, assignment in our life, I almost, I view it kind of as a, a moving scale. I view it as a moving, changing measurement. And you're going to see what we mean by that in a moment. But simply to say this in the beginning is that this measurement is, is adapting, changing, could be increasing, could be reducing in how we're using the measure that God has poured out into our lives. It's quiet all of a sudden. You're going to see this. And as we begin to look through scriptures, we're going to see and there's actually four different areas 
where you can actually see that there is a measure that God is referring to in our lives. And I, and I actually went back in there and said, no, there's got to be a few more areas. I want to see more measured back to you in, in, in different areas. But there's this one that we're talking about right here that it all starts with the measure of faith. There's the one that we're probably secondly most familiar with, with according to how you give, with the measure with which you give, it shall be measured, given back to you. Jesus, we just read that one to begin with. Well, we read the first portion of it. That's right. I didn't read the other half of it. But Jesus says, according to the measure of how you hear. We're going to see that in a moment. And then the most terrifying of them all is according to the measure in which you judge people. It'll be measured back to you. There's these four areas of measurement that the Lord specifically are the word and the Lord specifically deal with within the word of God. And according to how we use the measure given the main principle that we're looking at today, which is quite sobering, is that according to how we use the measure is how it is measured back into our lives. These four or three, because we read the one in Romans already, scriptures going back to Mark chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, Jesus was talking about our hearing when he said to them, pay attention to what you hear in verse 24 of Mark 4. The latter half of that verse in verse 24 says, for with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. So here why we then start with that exhortation to be hearers, not forgetful hearers, passing through just in one, you know, side, out the other. Maybe we should be pointing further down here in our core, in one side and out the other. Because Jesus actually says that when you hear and you're able to take what you hear and, and put it into practice, not forgetting this then will be measured back to your life. So, good hearer, poor hearer, because we don't use the B word around here. Bad. <laughs> and everybody's winners. Everybody gets first place. Except for those who get second. Good hearers, poor hearers, how we are hearing and listening and responding specifically in this context today of the word of God. Of course, this happens in our daily life. I mean, come on, husbands, how well you hear your wives. You know how. <laughs> Thank you. I was waiting for I was leaving hoping at least one wife would amen that. You're not supposed to say anything, though. No. That's for sure, for real? Oh, yeah. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take advantage of this one. We know how well that goes. And this is a very practical, very, very real situation. You know, 
the wife, are you hearing me? Uh, yeah, can, can you say that again? <laughs> Any wise want to say amen to that one? We've got to be hearers of the word of God, hearers of the instructions of the Lord, making light of it, joking it around, but very, very sober. Luke 6, 38, which we, which we mentioned, verse 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. So how we give, how generous we are, how we're living with our generosity, with obeying the Lord, with being a generous people, he who refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. It's the principle, it's a truth about being a giving, generous person. But then here, Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. These are the three main scriptures that Jesus refers to with that truth, that principle, that that thought about things being measured back into our lives according to how we use them. How we hear, how we give, how we judge, the faith that we have, the measure of faith that we have. Now we can go over to Luke chapter 19 because it's as if the Lord wanted to to give us his own illustration and his own example in Luke 19 with the parable of the talents. Some Bible versions call it the minas, the parable of the minas. And we're not going to read the entire parable today. We're going to get down to the end of it and I'll, I'll just sort of summarize the entire parable for us who are not familiar with it, but the Lord calls these, the master in the parable calls these three servants, gives them, divvies up different portions of talents, or let's just say money, resources, finances into their care. And the last person that was divvied up this portion, he was given the least, he was given one, the others were given more from 10 downwards. And we're picking up with this last servant that is is responding to the Lord with the measure, put it into context today, with the measure that he had been given. They all were given measures of talents, each different, to do and to be faithful with what they were given. But in verse 19, In verse 20 of Luke 19, then the other came saying, Lord, here is your mina, your talent, which I have kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words. 
you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man. Note to self, he didn't try to justify himself. I'm not, I'm not mean. I'm a good boss. I'm a good husband. I am. I'm a good daddy. He says, no, with your own words. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. And in verse 23, why then did you not put my money, that talent, that mina, that measure that he was given, why did you not take that measure and put it in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten. And they said to him in verse 25, it was almost like a soft appeal to these instructions. In verse 25, and they said, Lord, he has ten minas. As if they were saying, but, but wait, 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 Lord. We're having to take the one and give it to somebody else who has 10. It didn't make sense to their mind. It's almost like they were appealing, saying, but shouldn't he just be able to keep his one? Because the other one already has 10. And he says in verse 26, I tell you that everyone who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. In this passage here, it's the the sort of infamous categories of of people that we sometimes like to categorize people in. You know, we do that. Sometimes we do it subconsciously. Sometimes we do it intentionally. We we categorize. And and one of the things that we've said in times past, I'm sure, is is there's the haves and there's the have-nots. The haves and the have-nots. And we, we somehow sometimes very sort of black and white categorize people. But in this case, the haves are those in this parable. Listen closely and just let's open up our hearts to just try to perceive and understand what the scriptures are trying to get to us. The haves are not necessarily those with the most or those that are we like to classify as as the rich or the wealthy or the powerful. But today I would like to to category and describe the haves as the haves are those who take and use the measure that the Lord has given them. That measure can be little. That measure can be larger. But the haves are the people who take that measure and begin to use it. The have-nots are those who don't use the measure and or measures that the Lord has poured out in their lives. We can go a step further and to say that, that there is a reason for those that are 
haves and there is even a reason for the have nots. Because it's all a matter of the heart when it comes to our walk with God. I am of the personal belief that no one has to be in the category of have-nots. I believe that with all my heart. I don't, it does not matter to me what nation you're going to throw at me with that comment. But what about the poorest tribe in Africa? That didn't have, I just don't, I just don't believe. I believe that God is big and in every context that Jesus shows himself to be true and faithful in a have, again, it's not according to what one physically has. A have is what one does with the measure that Jesus has given to them. And Jesus has given everybody a measure. Do we believe that? Jesus has given everybody, starting with the measure of faith for salvation. You can be in the poorest country in the entire globe and utilize that measure of faith, and you can be and feel like the richest person on the earth. Do you believe that? This is when it begins to get a little hard. When the have-nots, again, because they didn't use what the Lord is offering, and they can always go back to that place of offering, it's when the have-nots feel they should have what the haves have. Did that just get a little confusing? That's a lot of haves going in there. But did y'all, that actually makes sense, right? At least it does to me. Let me say it one more time. When the have-nots feel they should have what the haves have. That's when it begins to get a little hard. And, and we, as even as a society, we begin to sometimes look around and, and start to think, well, just by virtue of somebody who does not have, well, that means that they should have some of what the haves have. I know it's a hard, it's a hard thought. We can process it. We can process it, but in verse 26, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So we got to get low, Ben. Let's get past that one real fast. Whew. Because we got to go into, okay, well, let's, let's make this simple. Let's get to some simple solutions here. Because there's got to be a little bit more to it than that. And I've already said it, but let's dig into it a bit. It all comes back to being faithful with the little that God has given to each person. Somebody say amen. amen. It, like I'm begging for it almost, right? Like, please, please, Susan, say amen, please. Oh, thank you. Just got to make sure you're there with me. Please, can, can I buy it? Can I buy an Amen. I don't know what I'd buy it with. I don't know the last time money's been in these pockets. It's just all electronic now. Everything starts with little. 
Starts with just that, that little bit of faith that we conjure up, that little bit of what we can say courage to call upon the name of Jesus, whether, whether you're starting your first business and you're rubbing together, you know, peanuts or, pe- or pennies from that jar that you've been saving. And, and as I often say in those early years of starting the ministry back in China, Every, every month we'd get down to the end of the month and it was like, it was like just rubbing pennies together to meet that last payroll, just to meet what I have said I was going to do for people. It always starts with, with little. In Zechariah, there's a, there's a passage that a lot of us are familiar with, but we're going to dive into it just a little bit more today where it says, for whoever has despised the day of small shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Just for the fun of it, everybody say, Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Isn't that a fun word? Say it again, Zerubbabel. You feel like you're like a Bible scholar when you say Zerubbabel. Luke chapter 16, verse 10 says, One who is faithful with very little, everybody say very little, is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. It starts with being faithful with the little that we have, whether it's the little faith that you feel you have to enter into this walk with Christ or whether it's the measure of faith that God has given you in order to begin to walk out the assignment of your life. We start with the little we have. And this passage referencing Zerubbabel, not despising small beginnings, is a beautiful reference because Zerubbabel is the gentleman who rebuilt Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was the most, at the time, elaborate, expensive, beautiful structure that had ever been built. And King David put aside fortunes and fortunes, and then in addition to that, Solomon collected and saved fortunes to put into this this structure. Of course, years go by, the structure got destroyed from invasions that resulted from disobedience, and now guess who's Name got called Zerubbabel. But here's the problem with Zerubbabel. You'll never forget it. I forgot it one time. Olivia had to remind me. Here's the problem. Zerubbabel had to build in a completely different time. He had to build with completely different resources. A fraction of the people a fraction of the wealth. It probably, you couldn't even call it wealth. They were going to scrape together what they could in order to rebuild what was once this glorious structure. And so now let's go back to Zechariah in that passage right there in chapter 4 in verse 10. Who is the one who despises small beginnings? Let them instead rejoice as they see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hands. 
Zerubbabel had to make the decision that he was going to rebuild and obey and follow after the the voice of God for his life using the measure that he had. He couldn't compare his measure to King Solomon's measure. He would have cried himself into in a coma in the corner if he had tried to do that. He would have just completely cried himself, completely useless, inactive, unproductive, had he compared his measure to King Solomon's measure. But he still had a work to do. Are you beginning to hear me today? Are you beginning to hear? We're going someplace. I just don't want to, this isn't about, you know, saying that, you know, the have-nots are never going to have. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about taking the measure you have and using that measure in obedience unto the glory of God. Zerubbabel rebuilt that structure, and it was both a, it was both a highlight as well as a tragedy for some. He was faithful with the measure. He rebuilt the structure. And listen to this passage right here in Ezra chapter 3 verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father houses, old men. Everybody say old men. We're not going to put an age on that today. They were like 150. Many of the old men who had seen the first house, whose house are they talking about? Everybody say Solomon's house. Solomon's house was the glorious house, the expensive house, the house of God. It was worth billions, literally, with the gold and the, and the, everything that was in that house. When they, the old men who had seen the first house, their response to Zerubbabel's faithfulness was they began to weep and cry out loud as if seemingly to say uncontrollable. (laughs) Look how small it is. Look how insignificant it is. The amount of gold in that is, is barely a fraction of what was in Solomon's great temple. So it's all a matter of perspective because you've got this one group. And again, Zerubbabel's over there. He's got to take this in. He's like, man, I'm just being faithful with the measure that I have. Of course, this is just talking about the foundation. They didn't even, he didn't even build at this point. It's just when they laid the foundation. And so it was really a matter of, it was a matter of size more than material at that point. So they saw that the size that Zerubbabel had the resources to build with was a much smaller footprint than what Solomon's was. And they mourned it. How, how encouraged do you think Zerubbabel was at that point? <laughs> I mean, he's like, he's like, really? This is hard enough without all of y'all having this like hissy fit. But there was another whole group of people. Look at this other whole group of people that was in that same audience. It said, many wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of the house being laid. Though many shouted aloud 
with joy. Shout it aloud with joy. Yes, build the house of the Lord. Yes, we're going to have a, a place of worship once again. Yes, the rubber bell. Use what you have and build and go and let no big whiny baby stop you from building what God has told you to build. You see, I don't think we're going to get to it today because of the times. So I'll say it now. and You'll have to just take it when I come back to it one day. But bigger is not always better. That's right. Amen. Bigger is not always better. Amen. Obedience and taking what's in your hand and using what you have is always better than trying to compare what you're attempting to do with any one else upon this earth. They shouted him on for joy. You got to know that if it was kind of divided, he kind of had to clog, plug up one ear so that he, would, he could hear the joy and the shouts of joy a lot more because it gets hard when a leader is trying to lead and you got people out there crying and making it more difficult. So you have to take the measure that you have and be faithful with what the Lord has given you. And then what happens from there? And then the scriptures in verse 26, again, let's go back to that Luke 19, 26. And he says that, and I tell everyone who has, will be given more. They'll be given more. So in Mark 4, 25, also it's doubling up. Luke 19 says it. Mark 4, 25 says, for the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And so none of us have any problem with the given part. It's the whole takeaway that we sometimes begin to struggle with. It's, it's Job's famous statement where Job, in the midst of having everything seemingly removed from his life and, and, and frankly, Maybe for the rest of his life. He didn't know, trust me, in the moment as to what the end was going to be. The only thing that he knew that, that was that he could not curse and deny his Lord. And Job made this infamous, not well-loved statement when he said, naked, I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return there. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be blessed. In all this, Job did not sin, nor did he charge God with moral impropriety. In other words, despite all this happening in Job's life, Job withheld himself not to blame God. Amen. He withheld his heart not to allow his heart to escape him and to start throwing accusations. As a matter of fact, he went, took it so far we could even say he was a little bit radical with this, Job. Come on, Job, already. Can't you just go with God is going to restore with what the locusts had eaten? Can't we just go there, Job? 
Can't we stay there? The God's going to restore it all. But Job says, listen, he gives, he takes away. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed. It's a matter of the heart. Can we have our hearts dedicated and in love with Jesus, whether the times are bountiful or whether there's times of of hardship in what seems to be lack. He gives, he takes away. Again, we have no problem with the seasons of bounty. Matter of fact, we start shouting and I praise him, testifying and everything else, which we should. We're not as quick to want to jump up on the testimony microphone. Lord, pastor, I'm in a season where it feels like there's a lot of takeaway happening. I don't know what's happening. I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like our natural response is we want to go digging and try to find, find some sin in our life or find some unresolved bitterness. And, and just as a side note, there might be something. You might have something that, that, but it's not something that, in my opinion, that you have to go look very far. You know. If there's something that's, that's sinful in your life or there's bitterness or there's unresolved forgiveness in your life, I, I'm just of the mindset that that's not something that you have to go dig all the way to China to find. It's pretty, it's pretty obvious in your life. And those things that are obvious in our life, yes, we should deal with them. This side agrees over here. Hold up. Does anybody over here agree? They're still thinking about it. Mm, that, was a, that was a pastor. We're going to give it to you because you're asking for it. Sorry. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, my wife's over here. I better change that. Man, that was an awesome amen. Deal with it. Deal with it if it's something that, that, you, that you need to deal with. But we're just talking about the, the, the attitude of the heart. The attitude of the heart saying, saying yes, God, I'm going to use what you've given me. Yes, God, even when, even when unforeseen challenges set forth in my life, Lord, I'm still, I'm still going to be here. Amen. I'm still going to be here. That's right. Not in church, in this church. I'm still going to be here with you, Jesus. I'm still going to be right there as Job was, and I'm just going to, I'm going to figure out some sort of way to, to just continue to believe and continue to trust in you. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. What is the key to all these different things? Well, you got to go back to, to Abraham and Isaac as one example. Because listen to me, you can possess... You can possess all things in life. You can possess as much as the Lord pours out in your life in all things. As long as all those things don't possess your heart. Abraham, listen to what the word of God says about this man. It says that now Abraham in Genesis 13 too, Abram was rich. We like that scripture. 
He was rich. We like the word. We like the sound of that. We like how it rolls off our tongue. He was wealthy. Other translations says he had a lot of gold, had a lot of silver, had a lot of animals. He was well taken care of. But the key was this, that even though Abraham was a wealthy man in Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall show you. You see, Abraham was this man, this obviously is this great patriarch of all of our faith, even though it was thousands of years ago. Yes, Old Testament times. He's our, he's our father. He's our patriarch. And here, you know, when somebody looks at Abraham after this whole Isaac incident and they're like, oh, yeah, that, he, just, he, just, he just doesn't understand my troubles. He's just a wealthy dude. He's just, man, he's just got all that gold and silver and, and everything. I guarantee you, Abraham was sitting there thinking to himself, you have no idea what you're talking about. Because when the Lord called upon my name, I was able, and he's thinking this, he's not saying it because he was also a humble man, but he's thinking, I was willing and remain willing to give the most prized possession in my life. You see, no matter how much wealth any person can have, man, woman, Abraham, any other patriarch that's gone before us, we all know the value of these precious things in our life, our children, our walk with Christ, our families, these real precious things, these things that when all else is, is, is taken away, the things that we really hope and sort of beg with the Lord, but Lord, just let, just let this remain. And Abram was willing to take, even though he possessed all, In his heart, he possessed nothing. It gets quiet now. You want to know the key. You want to know how how can you be blessed? How how can we be haves and and not have-nots? How can we be the ones where the Lord gives us ten minas and and we're faithful with that and, and the Lord continues to pour out more? Well, the key is that the more never has us. The more, the more never has a hold of us. God tested Abraham. Yes, the patriarch of our faith set the example by God asking and even requiring the most precious more in his have's life. He was obviously in a have, but he was willing to give it. This is the difference between the has when we talk about the things of God and in the context of the things of the kingdom of God in eternity. This is the difference. In Tozer, he says about Abraham and Isaac, he says, I only wanted to remove from him the temple of your heart so that I might reign there unchallenged. You see, Jesus wants to reign in our lives above 
all else. Willing and being willing, remaining willing from one season to the next to turn over the precious things in our life unto the Lord. After the Isaac experienced the words of Abraham and when people talked to Abraham, he was never the same again. Possessing the blessings of the Lord in our life without the blessings of the Lord possessing us. You can have as much as the Lord pours out when we use it to provide, to care, to be generous, to glorify the Lord of glory in our lives. You see, everything we commit to the Lord is safe, yet nothing is really safe unless we commit it to the Lord. Let me say that again. Everything, commit your way to the Lord and you shall prosper in the way you go. Everything is safe in your life. Your children, your business, your savings, your your home, your cars, all these things are safe when placed in Jesus' hands. And nothing is safe if we withhold it. Because when we place it in Jesus' hands, we know that he is faithful and just to do exactly what needs to be done in our lives. Using the measure you have been given with open hands. Everybody say open hands. I'm aware of the time. I want to get this out I just feel the Lord speaking. I just want you to hear these things and let the, let the Holy Spirit just bring life to them in your life. Everybody say open hands. open hands. We have to stop being a people who are clinging to anything except our walk with Christ in our life. That's right. Yes, I'm talking about your children. Yes, I'm talking about your business. Yes, I'm talking about your your savings and your investment accounts. I'm talking about all those securities that we have. Living, I'm not saying go out and just, you know, do something radical. You do what the Lord instructs you to do. But we live life. If you want to know the one of the keys amongst others of being in that haves, as the Bible is calling haves, faithful with the little using the measure that you've been given if you want to be that sort of person and teach our families and our children and our in our church community to be that sort of person not only are we being faithful with that measure but we're being faithful with it with open hands as nothing belongs to us somebody say amen can i buy an amen I know it's heavy. Listen, I know. I know it's heavy. I'm going to pray the Lord gives me a, flight, a, a light and fluffy one for next week. I don't know if it's going to happen. Using the measure you've been given with open hands. Not allowing the things of this world to grab a hold 
of our hearts, but instead positioning ourselves and our lives in a way that no matter what storm shall come our way, that we know that the Lord has us in his hands. We're going to stop there and continue next week. If you would, go ahead and stand to your feet today. Hallelujah. 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 I'm going to read. I I, I trick you. I got you to stand. But I want to just read one more thing. (laughs) I got to do it. I just feel like I just got to do it. I said one more thing, one more thing. In Luke 12, 16, it says, The rich man produced plentifully, and, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down and I will build. Build, build, build. Just I'll just keep building and I'll just keep building. And if it's not big enough, I'll just keep building more. And the rich man, the same sort of rich man would say, well, how much is enough? And that sort of rich man slash woman would just say more says the discontent man it's one of the effects that we've seen in our society over the past two years that's it's really a blessing there's so many blessings that have taken place in the last two and a half years with the things that we're beginning to walk through and go through and one of those things is just the reality that that again bigger is not always better that you see office buildings, obviously real estate. You see churches, a lot of big, it's, it's just, it's devastating. I, I know pastors who I knew 20 years ago that 20 years ago they were, you know, I was sitting under some of their teachings as they would come through and, and multiples that, you know, in the last two years because of the, the whole mindset of build, build, build. It's got to be bigger, 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 bigger. Now they can't even can't sustain any of that today selling entire properties companies having to get rid of real estate because there's just way too many you know too many too much square footage you see we have to listen to me we have to reinterpret the seasons of plentiful in our lives we have to reinterpret their purpose what they're to be used for It's not always for ourselves. It's not always just to build bigger. It's to bless. It's to help. It's to give. It's to do other things. It's to do things that are sustainable. It's to to just have a heart that is just, just humbled before the Lord. Just a heart that's humble before the Lord. And the thing that the thing that humbles, listen to this, it's gonna sound like a contradiction. The thing that humbles the humble heart the most is the blessings and the provision of God. You have to, you're going to have to go take a nibble on that one for a while. The thing that humbles the humble heart the most is the continual blessings and provision of the Lord in our lives. It's mind-boggling that Jesus would just continue with our faithfulness. His love, mercy, grace, 
that he just continues to sustain us, continues to just provide what we need for life and for our families. It's a rewiring that has to happen. It's a rewiring of your life, how you live, how you think. And all these things take place in the, in the presence of the Lord. They take place in the word of God. They take place from steady pursuit, steady pursuit of the things of God. This, all, this isn't everything that just happens like today. But as we walk and follow Christ, you know, we're rewired. We begin to recognize the measures that God has put in our hands. And you're not all going to do the same thing. People have told me over the years to do certain things, and I'm like, that's just, I can't do that. Well, that's what everybody does. I just, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I have no desire to do that. A few different areas that people say, I just, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I like what I do. I like who I am. I'm learning to. I didn't always. Bigger was always better 20 years ago. But it's learning to be a people that's just content with Christ. The measure that he's poured out, the measure of faith for salvation, the measure of of provision for the work of God for your life. Hallelujah. Just lift up your hands today one more time. Sorry for going a little bit longer today, but I've just just been a it's been a special just feel like it's been a special morning for on multiple levels for different people sorry if you were bored (laughs) i really am i'm sorry if you were we'll do better thank you jesus just take a moment just take one more minute thank you lord thank you jesus such a sweet presence, such a sweet presence of the Lord in the house. Lord, we just thank you for your word today, Lord. Thank you for your sweet touch upon every person, upon every life today, Lord. Thank you just, Lord, that this word's gone forth, Lord. I pray that it would, I pray that it was seasoned with salt and delivered with the grace of God. Lord, I pray that it would be upon our hearts as we just take it and we meditate on it in the days and the weeks ahead, Lord. And Jesus, I just give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' name. Amen.